Are you a good witch or a bad Hello and welcome to Witch Bitches Review, and just like Prue, I'd be down to slap a pair of twins. Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. And I'm a warlock who enjoys fingering Siren Rex Fry. This is the podcast where two actual witches analyze and review representations of witchcraft in media and pop culture. And what are we talking about today, Phoenix? Today, we are discussing Charmed Season 2, Episode 7, They're Everywhere. According to IMDb, eh, who cares? This one sucks. <laughs> yeah, I think even according to IMDb, this one sucks. <laughs> I didn't even bother looking up the rating for this one, um, but Castiel is in it, so that's really cool. This is like um, bottom five for me, I think. it's This episode is definitely a dirty, dirty bottom. Um, <laughs> yeah. Listen, I actually, I actually have recently quite come to love me some bottoms, but not this one. <laughs> <laughs> this episode originally aired on November 18th, 1999, and was written by Cheryl J. Anderson, and you did a bad fucking job, Cheryl, and you should feel bad. Boo, Cheryl. <laughs> Boo, Cheryl. Um, and it was directed by Mel Damsky. Notably, um, the lead guest star in this episode is Misha fucking Collins in his third acting role ever. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. But of course, later he becomes Castiel on Supernatural. And um, I'm sure he did some other stuff, but nobody really fucking cares at this point. Castiel is going to be the only thing that matters, the only role of his that matters for the rest of his fucking life. I love this because this is like Castiel on like, gay baby voice. (laughs) I just think he's so cute. It's like Castiel on too much Kalanapin. He's just like a little too calm for the situation. It's like Castiel meets Teletubbies. This episode is just a stinker. It is not good. (laughs) In summation. Well, I guess we can wrap up the episode. (laughs) That yeah, that's all we have to say. That's all that we have to say about it. Um, I I've watched this episode too many fucking times. Way too many point. times. Why did we watch this one so many times? I think we're trying to find more in it than there is. Oh, I thought it was because we've been trying to record this for like several months and keep having to rewatch it because we forgot. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Let's just get this shit over with. So the episode opens. In a museum, and this guy is all like, blah, 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 Akashic Records, blah, 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 big rock. And then Castiel is writing in his diary, and then all of a sudden is like, please excuse my suspicious outburst, I have to go now. Meanwhile, a guy with eyebrows so huge they could be caterpillars is cruising him in the background. He's giving him the up-down, like if he walked by, he'd probably be like, woof. It's very cruisy. Already we're moving around, and now we're at the old folks' home, where Castiel is ranting conspiracy theories at his comatose father. And so then, of course, Phoebe walks in with flowers, as if to say, well, hello, I have always worked in this 
this old folks home because I frequently am seen to have a job. I want to know what about the situation made Castiel think, oh, by the way, for the duration of this episode, we will be calling Eric Castiel because duh. I want to know what about the situation made him think, I better do the exact same thing that my father did to get him put into a coma. So Phoebe is inexplicably working at this old folks home and a mean old doctor walks in and is like, beat it, bitch. I got to talk to this guy. And then he compares Castiel's daddy to a broken refrigerator and is like, I have to perform some maintenance on your father's bed sores. So we have to move him out of here. Ew. Oh my God. Bed sores. Can you imagine? Like we have no idea how long his father has been in that room. Can you imagine how it smells in there? Months and months of elderliness. <laughs> no wonder Phoebe keeps bringing in flowers. It's because it fucking stinks in there. Oh no. Oh, kind of sad. It is kind of sad. Um, well, Eric, like when Phoebe walks in, he's like, you know, you're really sweet to my daddy bringing him flowers every day. And Phoebe's like, well, well, really, dude, it's just because it reeks in here. <laughs> Well, the smell of Ben Gay is wafting down the hallway, so I've got to do something. After Phoebe comes in to um, use a bouquet to mask the stench of Eric's father's decline, she has a vision of Eric being murdered. And um, so nobody can catch anybody in this episode ever. The second a person takes two steps, they are out of reach they are gone can't catch them phoebe has this two second vision during which castiel like hops on the banister and slides all the way down four flights of spiral stairs to get away from her and she just can't do anything about it except be like well guess he'll die (laughs) i have zero idea of when this premonition takes place so i am going to go very slowly hey you're gonna die oh you're got well okay maybe i'll tell him tomorrow We then transition into the manor and uh, Piper and Prue walk in as if to say Phoebe has always worked at the retirement village and they are... (laughs) They do though. They do. They walk in and they're like, hey audience, did you know that Phoebe's at her long-standing well-known job at that old folks home? (laughs) They talk about how their boyfriends may or may not be warlocks. And then Dan shows up and offers to take piper out of the city to just jackhammer her all day long just bang the shit out of her and then take her to a wedding he's a romantic kit delivers a feline cock block of judgment and piper slams the door just so she can analyze whether or not she's gonna fuck a warlock again i'd go with you know why not honestly like even if dan did try to kill me afterwards i'd still probably let him wreck my hole At least once just once no so they're they're having this conversation because prue comes upstairs and is like well while phoebe is off at this job that everyone knows about i saw jack blink there's lots of blinking talk in this episode and honestly i had this thought when i was watching it earlier the blinking sound effect sort of sounds like a wet squeegee going across the windshield yeah i guess it does <laughs> if, if you just like if you do it real fast and it's like i don't know i'm not going to imitate the sound but it's just it's <laughs> i guess it sounds squeaky it's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. So after Piper gets cocked black by her pussy, she runs down to the bottom of the stairs and is like, Prue, did you find that warlock test yet? And then the opening credits start. And guess who's not fucking in them? By Karis. Karis Page Bryant. Well, she gave it her all. She tried her best and it was just um not good enough. Gone, but not forgiven. The opening song is fucking Sugar Ray. And do you know, since I've watched this episode a hundred times, I'm now obsessed with Sugar Ray again, just like I'm goddamn 14 again. Sugar Ray (laughs) 
Like, they're from, like, now that's what I call music. No number. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. They were on, like, the first one. Do you even know who You're they are? You're old. I love Sugar Ray. Man, they still slap, bitch. I've been rocking out to that shit on my way to work every day. I uh, I do know who Sugar Ray is, but I do sometimes get them confused with the um, 2010s band Hot Shell Ray. So Well, I don't even know what that means. So after this band that Siren Loves plays their uh, hit song, Prue and Piper go through the Book of Shadows looking for a warlock test but because they are fucking dumb and cannot remember anything that they read in this book Prue is like there's 19 warlock specific death spells there are death spells on this book i mean it's a book of good magic phoenix so yeah that's how that works <laughs> duh it is a book it is listen and ye harm none is on the first fucking page of that book of shadows and it's full of ways to kill people does it really say there are 19 warlock specific death spells then why in season four do they fucking have to write a new one <laughs> it's gonna round it out with an even 20 i guess bitch just uh, barely finished college she finally learned how to rhyme <laughs> uh but instead they find this uh telepathy spell This is Misspelled, the part of the show where we critique the spells used by fantasy witches and talk about how a real witch might do the same thing. So the spell is called To Hear Secret Thoughts, and the page is beautiful. This is a really great page. It's kind of classic. Like, I would put this in my Book of Shadows. Why not? It is in my Book of Shadows, actually. Um, I have adapted this spell in real life, and I tried my best. I am no artista. Um, I did try my best to replicate the images on the book, so I drew, like, a little blue candle. I made the, like, smoke go to the little, the third eye in the middle of the forehead. It's just a really beautiful page. It's a really beautiful spell. And it goes like this. I'm going to insert a sound clip, because we haven't done that for a little while. Flame light shadow and truth and sphere open locked thoughts to my mind's willing ear. May the smoke from this candle into everywhere creep, bringing innermost voices to my mind in speech. I don't like the last line. It, what, what is it about the last line that you don't like? It's stupid. It's, I guess, the main thing. It's just, it's clunky. Okay, the first three are, like, really poetic and beautiful, and they're like, here's what our spell ingredients do as part of the spell, and I love that shit. You know, state your mm -hmm. intentions and your symbolism out loud. Like, make it real. But it's bringing innermost voices to my mind in speech. First of all, it's just not the way you would... I don't think it's the way a real person would talk. But also, it's like... I mean, I guess I know it's for TV, but I guess it's just a little bit too TV. It's like, instead of telling you what the spell ingredients do, let's explain to you how the effect works on television. Okay, I can see that. So I guess that's what I don't like about it. Something that I would incorporate into this spell, actually, I would maybe use the moon tarot card to, to aid in this a little bit. Or like the high priestess. Ooh, yeah, secrets being revealed. Yeah. High priestess is definitely something that you can incorporate into this. I think that's something that the spell is missing. Well, I always want to put a tarot card in a spell. Me? Too. Um, the spell in the show calls for a blue candle, which I sort of like because I think of I think of blue as sort of like a color for air because of the sky, I guess. Um, and the spell feels very like air to me. Um, I think of blue as the color of communication, and it's the color of the throat chakra, which is the one we mm -hmm. use to communicate. So 
I like that. But what do you think about that? Because you wrote that you'd rather have like purple. I mean, blue is a perfectly fine color for a spell like this. It is for all intents and purposes. It is a communication spell of sorts, right? Telepathy is a form of communication. But I think especially with the imagery on the page with the the smoke from the candle sort of going into the third eye area, I would maybe use purple for that since that's the color of the third eye chakra. Um, And it's a more intuitive color. Um, And if this were a spell that I would be doing in real life, I feel like it would operate more in a way of of heightening one's intuition to be aware of um, secrets and lies as opposed to being able to actually hear thoughts. Well, so you said you have this spell in your book. Like, have you actually used it for a purpose? I have used I have used it before to try to uncover things that I thought were hidden. And it did work to an extent, but it's been a while since I, I added it to my book. So I haven't really done it as of recently, but I did it a lot when um, I was living at home and uh, um, the spell kind of, it sort of revealed hidden things to me in, in, a, in a way that like, it was kind of confrontational, honestly. Like I sort of came upon things that were going on that I wasn't aware of that uh, the, the person knew I wouldn't be okay with and was actively hiding from me and making me out to be like naive and stupid. And so I used this spell to bring that to light, to bring secrets to light. So that's why I really liked your idea of including the High Priestess Tarot card into this, because uh, that's absolutely something that you could use that card for. The way that I did it, it came out to be a little bit too confrontational. And I would want to remedy that somehow in the spell to be more specific about how the secrets come to me. So I would like this spell in more of like a cooperative context. Like I feel like this is something maybe David and I would do to enhance our connection to each other on purpose or something like that. Or even something you and I could do sometime. Um, That seems like a more positive use of it to me. I totally agree. Because the way that I've done it, it functioned a little bit more like the truth spell. Um, which I don't think is necessarily the intention behind um, the words that are used. No. So this is definitely a spell for telepathy. And I thought I would talk about telepathy for a little bit in the segment. Yes. You did a lot of research. I did because I'm ridiculous as usual. I was like, I want to talk about telepathy. I know what I should do. Write a goddamn dissertation. (laughs) So, um, Etymologically, because you know I have to start there, the word telepathy means far feeling or feeling or experiencing from afar. And it was coined back in 1882 by this guy, Frederick W.H. Myers. And this person is the founder of this crazy place called the Society for Psychical Research. In that same year, back in the 18-fucking-80s, before he coined the word telepathy, the phrasing was thought transference. So a little clunkier than that word. Um, so they actually studied telepathy at the Society for Psychical Research. And then a bunch of other places studied it also all throughout the 19th century. No, that's not what I want to say. All throughout the 1900s. I think they're different things. <laughs> Time is weird. Yeah, the 1900s is the 20th century. 20th century. That's bananas. Um, 
math, y'all. But um, so throughout all of this, telepathy has pretty much been determined as pseudoscience at this point. It has never been proven. And a lot of alleged evidence that did prove the existence of telepathy was later confessed to be fraud. So much fraud exists in the history of studying telepathy that I can't even give you every example. But I do have a couple of them. Um, there were these four sisters called the Creary sisters, and they were using secret codes and signals between each other that the researchers didn't notice. <laughs> Um, and they confessed it years later in this op-ed they just randomly wrote to a newspaper. Hey, by the way, New York Times, we faked being telepathic for five years. NBD. Um, there were these other two guys. Their names are George Albert Smith and Douglas Blackburn. And they deliberately tricked the Society for Psychical Research. They deliberately went in and proved themselves to be telepathic. And they were just duping the scientists the entire time. And didn't tell anybody for years. That's so shitty. Um, their reasoning, or rather the, the excuse they offered is that they were trying to um, demonstrate all the flaws in like the research methods that the Society for Psychical Research was doing. Um, in general, people who reviewed their work often said that they tried to prove the existence of psychic and paranormal phenomena rather than testing it. So like they, they came into it with a bias to determine that it was real no matter what the evidence showed. Which mm. seems to be correct from everything that I've read. <laughs> I mean, that's a fair criticism of the work for sure. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you should go in like actively trying to shit on <laughs> something <laughs> I mean, that someone's yeah. trying I to mean, do. I mean, I suppose the ethics of it are pretty um, bad overall but it's not uncommon throughout the story of the field as a whole <laughs> hole oh my god phoenix how about you shut your hole so i can get out my fucking research i don't know how to do that sorry i have an open hole policy the word on the street so telepathy was tested by various people in different ways throughout the 1900s but the results tended to go in like one of three ways basically and um, the first being outright failure so many of these tests just showed that like these people were not telepathic they just weren't um but in a lot of them, like I said, the subjects were tricking the researchers sometimes, well, for various reasons. I mean, sometimes maybe just for attention, sometimes on purpose to be dicks, like who knows? Um, or the third thing was that it was found that the subjects were communicating in some other way that the researchers didn't notice or think to prevent. Um, any successful studies that proved telepathy done by anybody, could they've never been repeated, even with the same subjects. If a different researcher studied them, they didn't get the same result. It's pretty commonly agreed upon by scientists and researchers that telepathy doesn't exist i i don't know if i think that's true or not i don't think it exists i mean i don't think it operates the same way that they're trying to prove that it works but i think you can absolutely get in tune with someone's rhythm and be able to like predict what they're gonna say before they say it or think the same thing and say the same thing at the same time i mean how often does that happen when like you and i spend a lot of time together Yes, well, you've just touched on um, actually something I wanted to bring up. Um, so in my research on telepathy, I found a little bit about this psychologist named Stuart Sutherland. And he what he basically wrote about telepathy was that it's this is just kind of what happens between people who are very close and know each other very well. People like that are very likely to think the same thought at the same time because they share the same experiences, backgrounds, and references. So it makes perfect sense to me that you and I could have the same thought about a Buffy reference that applies to a situation we both witnessed 
together because you and I both saw that thing and we both spent the last 30 years watching nothing but Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. So if we have the same thought to do with something like that or Charmed or being a gay man or something, it's not really that unlikely. So do you think that this spell could operate? I mean, you you mentioned this, that that was something that you and I could do. Do you think that this spell in real life would operate that way to just heighten the abilities of uh, the casters to do that, to do it on purpose, to like have those predictions, feelings and thoughts at the same time um, in a more like planned thought out way. Yeah. I think that two witches who are aware of the process and what they were trying to achieve could absolutely use a spell to heighten a connection like that. So to get back to what you were trying to say, I don't think any of this actually disproves the existence of telepathy or mind reading or whatever as a phenomena. I think it's just like you said, not the thing that researchers are labeling it as, I guess. It's exactly. It's not yeah. this supernatural other 90% of your brain thing happening. It's kind of an everyday magic that people experience all the time. But the thing about magic is finding it and cultivating it and using it where it is. Yes! So just that because, was so well stated. Thank you. So just because the telepathy between you and your friends isn't actually all that abnormal, that doesn't mean it's not special and not something to be celebrated as magical. So just to kind of like bring this back around, we're saying that in order to do this spell, we would incorporate some kind of tarot card. Um a blue or purple candle um some stones sort of like an amethyst we would definitely use air element things like incense bay leaves you did some research about gods that you could use do you want to talk about that for a second um, so the greek gods hermes and hypnos are both known to have mind reading powers i have discovered so i talked about how i've done this spell and it's it's worked in sort of an unpredictable way or a way that maybe wasn't <laughs> super kosher uh but have you ever done a spell for psychic powers or do you have any experiences like that? <laughs> well, okay. So here's here's what happened. Um, I do have, a, I did it. <laughs> when I first discovered witchcraft and I was in that awkward like tween 11 to 14 era of my life. Okay, you know when you're a preteen who discovers witchcraft and everything gets real embarrassing for several years? Um, um, no, I didn't have that experience, but I'm excited to relive yours. All right, well... Let me tell you what you missed. Um, my BFF Jennifer and I, we had Scott Cunningham's magical herbalism, and we decided that we were going to get super into making potions with whatever we could get at the grocery store, because, I mean, that and CVS were the two occult shops in the town where I grew up, okay? <laughs> okay. So, um... We had decided, because in that book, Scott Cunningham, he has all these herbs that he says you can use for, like, psychic powers and mental powers and psychic development and all this stuff. So Jennifer and I were like, what if we mixed all of these psychic herbs that we could find together into a potion and drank it? And we were certain that that would make us the charmed ones. We were certain. It was that... <laughs> simple. I was going to be throwing demons into trucks by next week. But the thing about this potion is that it tasted like absolute ass. And you know why? Mugwort. Oh, <laughs> mugwort. I hate that bitch. Oh my god. I actually, I mean, the flavor, not so much, but mugwort is one of my 
favorite fucking Yeah, no, stories. it's witchy as hell. It's fucking fly. It's disgusting. So we're making this, like, fucking, like, mugwort and star anise and just ridiculous. That's the one I fucking hate. I hate Potion. Nasty. But I was determined, Phoenix, to have premonitions and act really dramatic about it afterward. I was determined. So we make this potion. It's nasty as hell. And we decide because we're kids that we'll pour it on like a slice of bread and try to eat it instead. And I want you to know that that was even nastier as hell. <laughs> yeah, um, mugwort tea infused white bread. Was that your nickname in high school? <laughs> Might as well have been, bitch. <laughs> Shut up. Fuck you. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I should have mentioned that we did all of this at like three in the morning in Jennifer's mom's coffee maker. <laughs> Because, because that sly, no good, wicked bitch Dorothy Morrison told me to make potions in the automatic drip coffee maker. So that is what I did. Um, but I was young and I didn't really understand how like appliances worked. Um, so I decided that <clears throat> to make the mugwort psychic power potion taste better so that Jennifer and I could be witches and fight demons, that I was instead of water, I was going to put orange juice into the coffee maker and have that steep through the mugwort in the coffee filter and we would drink that because that was going to be really good. But when I did it, it just came out the same as before and I was like, what the fuck, this sucks. So I guess um, the next morning when Jennifer's mom tried to make coffee to go to work, it came out Folgers and Tropicana. <laughs> and I don't think her mom ever stopped like um, hating me. <laughs> so the spell has been cast this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage no matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And um, surprising literally no one, the Charmed Ones are bitches. <laughs> Prue and Piper are both like Cordelia Chase here, which is honestly probably the episode that inspired this one. Um, but they just think a bunch of bitchy thoughts in their heads and then they say all their bitchy thoughts out loud. <laughs> Character development. Whatever. Can I go now? Whatever. Can I go now? Uh, so Phoebe walks in having an absolute panic attack and Prune Piper, instead of telling her the truth about what they have just done, decide to gaslight her. Yeah, they just, just mess with her a little bit instead. They're like, oh, Phoebe's here. We just did a spell. We're all three witches. Don't tell her. <laughs> 
Well, it's like, I don't understand the motivation for not telling her. Phoebe can't be in the telepathy club because she doesn't have a warlock boyfriend like the two of us. I feel like maybe it's because Prue is like, Phoebe's a screw-upy stupid bitch and if she knows that we did a spell, she's gonna want to do a spell. But honestly, Phoebe's the one that's like, um... You guys are dumb. Just stab your boyfriends. Duh. Yeah. They're like, hey, Phoebe, do you know anything about a warlock test? And she's like, I don't know. Did you read the Book of Shadows, you stupid bitch? (laughs) Um, So Phoebe learns that, uh, Phoebe learns us, rather, that warlocks don't bleed, which is a falsehood through and through, because they absolutely do. Which is canon for literally this episode and no other. Exactly. So Dan and Jack could have been warlocks this whole time. I mean, Jeremy played the long game, so how do we know that? uh... Oh, didn't he bleed too? I'm pretty sure he did. So Piper mentally ambushes Phoebe to ask her about Castiel, and Phoebe describes her lame finger vision. This this is just like the key fingers. This is, oh my god, key fingers! (laughs) The key fingy! This is very, like, Adobe After Effects, my fingers double as heroin needles kind of a thing. It is so Adobe After Effects. This was before the update. It's just such a, I don't know, it's such a janky looking effect. And it's when like their fingers transform into the needles, it sounds like someone making a balloon animal. And it's just like not good. The sound effects in this episode are just not my favorite thing in the world. (laughs) Which is funny now that you're saying it, because the sound effects are the only thing that make all the blinking in the episode work. Yeah, even though it sounds like a wet fart on a piece of leather. (laughs) (laughs) I need a second, just keep going. That being said... Um, Phoebe goes to look up warlocks on the internet because her sister's boyfriend drama far supersedes the need to protect an innocent life. That sounds about right, yeah. But it's fine because the book never has anything helpful to say anyway. It really does not. There's never anything in there that's like groundbreaking. You know, it's not like florals for spring. It's like warlocks for warlocks. (laughs) (laughs) So now at Buckland's, Prue's new love interest, Jack, played by Lachlan Monroe, who... I think is like 90s sexy for a white guy. So um, he like walks into her office. He's like super awkward and tacky. He's wearing shorts, which Prue hates. And they make a penis joke. Versh Wang? I don't really get the joke. I know, I mean, like, I know Wang is like a PP. That's basically but... it. Well, that's kind of lame. Yeah, no, it's super lame. This is bottom five, Phoenix. Um, <laughs> Jack is thinking that mostly he puts people in graves and incinerates them. And Prue hears that telepathically and she just kind of gives him this look and says i will kill you (laughs) and then he like awkwardly leaves her office he his thought is if she finds out i'm lying she's gonna die and then she's immediately like i am so horny to kill you right now (laughs) her first instinct is always murder back at the manor with the nice sister piper Um, She lets Dan in the house, freezes him solid, and then stabs him in the hand. Phoebe hippity hops down the stairs like a Shetland pony and tells Piper (laughs) that frozen people don't move or bleed. And Piper is like, ah, yes, thank you for explaining to me the metaphysics of my power. And then also telling me when and where to use them. And then Phoebe is like, well, if I didn't, it seems like you would just stand there and do nothing like you do the rest of the time. Doesn't it, Piper? (laughs) Um, That's another thing about this episode. Everyone is constantly telling Piper how to use her powers. Like, she can't do it without instructions, I guess. She she needs to be cued in. Basically. Or like, they're, I don't know, do they just feel like the audience needs it explained to them like seven times? So to top it all off, Piper will not let Phoebe look at Dan's ass. 
That's fucking rude. I'm sorry. If I'm telling you how to test your boyfriend to see if he's evil or not, I'm going to look at his butt and then potentially eat it. If I'm parading my boyfriend around in front of you, you had better look at his butt. Thankfully, green screen Kit comes in in one of the worst effects ever to hiss at an imaginary wasp's nest, which just smoothly explains away the fact that Piper stabbed Dan in the hand. <laughs> it must have been what stung me. I don't think that, um... There must have been a massive bee the size of a dagger. <laughs> Piper just used a needle, not a dagger. Stab me in the fucking hand. Oh, well, whatever. I mean, it's been a while since I've gotten stung by a bee, but I don't think they bleed, do they? Like, um, I guess if it's bad enough, I don't know. But this imaginary bee's nest is literally the only reason that Piper did not get away from all this bullshit to go on her normal life sex weekend. Cockblocked by your own pussy part two. I feel like you're just trying to say pussy now to piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> why do you not like that word <laughs> in like a feminist way i'm fine with it in a gay man way i'm like ew so phoebe now that um we have stabbed a boy and have shooed him out the door oh yeah we got rid of him too afterward <laughs> after all of this abuse we send dan back away and are like i'll get there when i get there <laughs> uh phoebe starts to exposition the warlocks and they are called collectors one of whom will become a different kind of knowledge seeking demon next season that is so crazy that it's literally the same fucking guy doing the same shit. It's just with his teeth instead of his fingers. Honestly, that sounds like a pretty natural progression. Honestly, it seems to me like you've got teeth and fingers, and I don't know why you can't use both of them on me at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm begging for it from that guy in particular. I don't know. I like a bald daddy. Thankfully, Phoebe has learned about these warlocks called the Collectors by surfing the web. How? Because... She didn't, well, because she didn't have the Book of Shadows, Phoenix. And the internet knew more about the Warlocks than the Book of Shadows, Phoenix. It's the 90s, duh. She found all of this information on these Warlocks online in what? The, like, magical witches only chat room? I'm confused. Yeah, I don't know. In that same demon website that Dawn gets into in season seven? Oh, demons, demons, demons. Demons, demons, demons. <laughs> dot com. Oh my god, it's the crossover we never got. Demons, demons, demons dot com. Or wanted. The collectors use their needle fingers to suck memories out of people's heads and leave them all like brain dead or whatever. That sounds really yucky. What do you think about like memory erasing monsters um i don't know that much about them but i'm sure that you're going to regale me with some information i almost wanted to do a mini myth taken but i really just have a couple of things for me these guys are like mind flayers like the the tentacle octopus head like evil sorcerer monsters in D D or whatever that's a terrible description like in stranger things yeah, yeah, like the mind flayers, they just like they reach out with their tentacles or their psychic powers or whatever kind of fucked up like hentai shit they have going on. And they're like, ah, I erased your whole brain. <laughs> That's the noise that the mind flayers make. Yeah, it's more of a slurping noise than like a squeegee. <laughs> but so I feel like these these guys are like the charmed version of mind flayers. Like if mind flayers were moderately ambitious, like entry level paralegal employees. Here's a super fun fact out of nowhere. It's too fun to say not to talk about it. There's a North American cryptid that I guess was reported by like lumberjacks or whatever back in the 1900s, 1800s, some kind of hundreds when people were lumberjacks. And um, I guess it lives in Pennsylvania. It's called the Glowacus which I think is fun to say. Even funner to say, um, it's a big fucking cat. 
it um like a bear panther lion hyena and if you look into its eyes it will erase all your memories oh my god that sounds great where can we find one pennsylvania duh i just said that oh see i do this thing sometimes where i uh don't listen to you when you talk i hadn't noticed Sometimes when something's like not about gay sex or me, I just stop listening. (laughs) I mean, relatable content. So Piper and Phoebe walk in on the museum cruiser and the mean doctor trying to K-I-L-L Castile with their creepy needle fingers. They freeze and then they unfreeze just so that Phoebe can walk up and kick the shit out of them. But she tells Piper to freeze and unfreeze them. So then Castiel pulls out a gun and he blasts them, but they don't die. Well, Siren, that's because the only things that can kill demons are poems. Poems. <laughs> Kool-Aid allergies. Sometimes knives, arrows, axes, stilettos, pipes, sometimes just a hard surface like a wall but never bullets don't forget about umbrellas and by stilettos he does mean shoes guns don't kill people potions do that should be a fucking t-shirt bitch (laughs) (laughs) also for someone as paranoid as castiel is why the fuck did he leave his door just unlocked piper and phoebe just walk in there they don't kick the door down they just turn the knob and it's open (laughs) If he thinks the CIA is after him, why is his door unlocked? I don't know. Maybe it also is just to do with what the low crime rate in San Francisco. All those unsolved murder cases. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You know, Castiel is really careening toward becoming an unsolved murder case at this point. He really, really is. He's like, Needlefinger guy is like a thimble away from his head. So this thing happens in, in this scene when Piper freezes the room. Castiel is about to get his noggin sucked on Mm. and somehow when he unfreezes he just happens to roll out of the way so it begs the question can frozen people think about what they're doing or about what they're about to do because he would die there's no way oh so you're saying that he reacts as though he wasn't frozen the whole time you're probably right he like rolls out of the way as though he had the extra seconds to like think about what he was gonna do the needle finger was like two inches away from his head did you notice though that the the collector guy he had like a little um like cap on his finger like one of those little like finger puppet monsters i mean that's the only thing that makes sense to do something like that for me anyway i guess I like how we're both now looking at our fingers. Like I know. Well, you were just like waggling your finger at me this whole time and I got kind of mesmerized by it. <laughs> I'm a hypnotist. So Phoebe and Piper take Castiel home and then they grill him about the Acacia Records. I can't think of you. You're that's why I'm the only one that's in the jingles. Wrong. That right there is why you're not in the jingles. (laughs) The Akashic Records. Phoebe says that the Akashic Records are a book of ancient prophecies that contain all recorded events, past, present, and future. Um, The Akashic Records are the main plot device of this episode, even though we never see and or find them. So she's not too far off in her definition. The Acacia Records are actually supposed to be a compendium of all recorded events, as well as thoughts, words, and feelings in the universe, throughout time, everything. All information ever. But it's not a literal book. 
It's a collection of information that exists on another plane, only accessible with your mind. In theory, if the Akashic Records are all information ever only accessible from another plane, then all forms of divination would be an attempt to access them. It's kind of what I take from this definition. Unlike telepathy, the existence of the Akashic Records has not undergone rigorous scientific study, so I can't bore you with that drama. But I can tell you that the word Akashic comes from the Sanskrit word Akasha, which means space, sky, or aether. And it is worth mentioning that um, Akasha is a concept in Hinduism, Jainism, and Buddhism, but its use here is more um, appropriative by white people, particularly this Russian bitch named Helen, who um, kind of is credited for founding the religion of Theosophy, which is where the concept of the Akashic Records comes from. In terms of like how early we're talking about the Akashic Records, I can't wait to say this guy's name. In 1899, this Theosophist, C.W. Leadbeater. What a great name. C.W. C.W. Leadbeater. C.W. Leadbeater. C.W. Leadbeater. <laughs> he wrote a book called Clairvoyance, where he talked about the Akashic Records as something a clairvoyant person could read. Um, but just in case you're thinking about trusting C.W. Leadbeater, his follow-up work, I forget what it's called, but he basically um, read the... Akashic Records to describe the history of Atlantis and tell everybody that it was real. So that is actually really interesting because... Because you read people who believe in Atlantis conspiracy theories? No, the Akashic Records are a really fascinating topic, and most of what I know about them comes from Dolores Cannon and her book uh, Between Death and Life, which I've had high praise for in the past and still have some respect for, but... I'm a little bit more skeptical as I gain some distance from reading that book and like learning a little bit more about like spirituality and having my own interactions with the spirit world. And and she's talked about Atlantis in some of her work before. And uh, in her book, she recounts some of her, her past life regression clients going into this hall in the afterlife or some other plane of existence where the Akashic records are supposedly kept. Instead of them being described as a book or a tablet, they're described as like a tapestry and all of the individual threads are the the events, the thoughts, the feelings, the life. Um, every single event in time is weaved together into this tapestry that you can look at in this other plane of existence. Can I talk about why that concept is interesting? Real yeah, quick? totally. Um, the way you described everything you just said about the tapestry and the woven and everything... Um, in the book series, The Wheel of Time, which Amazon is making into like a multi-million dollar show right now, um, the Wheel of Time, the pattern, the weaving of threads that are people's lives, that's the way they kind of describe the mythos of the world in that series. And I did not know that that was connected to the Akashic Records in any way, but I guess maybe it could be. The Akashic Records are also uh, mentioned by this really well-documented psychic Edgar Casey, who lived from March 1877 to January 1945. Uh, Casey was known as the sleeping prophet as he often received his messages in his sleep and was also believed to possess the power of osmosis or being able to absorb information from texts while sleeping. I thought osmosis was some kind of sciencey cell division word. You know, because like osmosis Jones, Phoenix. Oh, it, it is a process by which molecules of a solvent tend to pass through a membrane. But it is also the process of gradual or unconscious assimilation of knowledge and ideas. So there's this theory that osmosis, if you put like a pillow 
a pillow under <laughs> if you put a pillow under your book <laughs> and, you, and you sleep on top of it um you'll gain okay. all of the knowledge from the book reading books um, through pillows got it you know i read an exercise that i tried once where you do that with tarot cards and i got absolutely nothing out of it <laughs> now uh casey described the records in a very similar fashion though he described the records as being like a movie theater like like projections on a silver screen now as you know similar to cw up there um cw lead beater you mean <laughs> cw lead beater lots of other long time ago dead people some of what edgar believed in was um what's the what's the right word stupid stupid um pretty pretty stupid uh he had some theories about aliens being the creators of atlantis wow um, <laughs> He witnessed he believed... it through the Akashic Record Phoenix, which is basically like a big movie screen. So I think it's probably true. <laughs> I think it's probably pretty, pretty accurate. I'm sure that he was not at all having cocaine-induced visions. So, eh. But Edgar Casey would like, he would do psychic readings on people and like diagnose them with illnesses and stuff. So there's not a lot about his work that is super translatable to the common era. I think it's important to bring him up in this conversation because I have heard some of his teachings perpetuated online. And I think it's just important to remember that as we talk about these things, um, particularly with something like the Akashic Records and from people who have um, talked about them throughout history to understand that there have been a lot of developments in modern understandings of science and the functionality of the world. And that sometimes looking backwards can color our vision of what we're interacting with in the present but casey did describe the records as more of a state of mind rather than a separate place um that was meant to that rather than being like something where you gain all the information from everywhere all at once like that movie everything everywhere all at once that it was more about getting in touch with your higher self and achieving a different state of consciousness in which we are more connected to one another and can have universal experiences and can understand things better. And those are the things that I think we can take away from his teaching. Um, I think a common through line in the theory and philosophy around the uh, Akashic records is that their creation and existence is for the development of the human soul um, to reach the next level of incarnation, whether that's Nirvana or source or God or becoming a big blue Atlantean alien or whatever. It's all about, about gaining information to better yourself and to become a higher being. Well, the one thing I can say about Edgar Casey is after you told me about all the Atlantean alien stuff, I was really hoping the next thing you would say is that he also claimed to be a doctor. I think he did. Let me he ran like a like a medical clinic where he would psychically diagnose people with illnesses. He oh did my do that. god, he's one of those like essential oil COVID deniers. <laughs> He is. He would totally be an anti-maxer. He would just be <laughs> oh like, COVID's not real. You just have to sleep on a book. What's that fucking horse tranquilizer <laughs> that we're supposed to take? Ketamine? No, not ketamine. The other one. The one that fights COVID. <laughs> I'm going to, I got to check with the elders real quick. I'm going to Google horse <laughs> tranquilizer oh my god can that be a segment like when we're in, or like a like a jingle checking with the elders when we have to google something in the middle of an episode i've actually been thinking about pitching that to you for a while i figured i'd just bust it out the next time it came up <laughs> okay horse tranquilizer that cures COVID. 
<laughs> you are going to end up on such a wrong side of the <laughs> Ivermectin. Yeah. So I feel like Edward Casey is out there snorting Ivermectin and having fever dreams about the sunken city. So let's talk about Carl Jung, because this discussion is just not dense enough yet. <laughs> um, Carl Jung is a Swiss psychiatrist who was born in 1875, and he died in 1961 at age 85. I have read more of other people's interpretations of Carl Jung than I have read the writings of Jung himself, but I think that's probably true of a lot of occultists. Actually, because he's had a little bit of an influence on Wicca and witchcraft as we know it in America. A lot of occult writers reference his, his theories or adapt them to their own uses. Um, and I'm no exception. Um, Young's writings have influenced a lot of how I think about spirituality. But I'm not going to get into all of that right now, just to set the context that his theory is kind of important to me sometimes. Um, Jung did seem to have a lot of respect for occult philosophy and metaphysics, and like I said, it seems to be mutual. So, one of the concepts that I want to talk about today that Carl Jung wrote about is the collective unconscious. It's an unconscious peace of mind that all humans have in common, perhaps inherited from the first humans. Um, he developed this theory when he was analyzing archetypes, which are a central thesis of his work, and I'll try to briefly summarize it. Basically, archetypes are um, common shared characters, stories, events, mythologies that are shared among all people all over the world. So sometimes we find the same myths and stories with just a few different details that have existed in places where the people never knew each other beforehand. They had never met, but they were all telling these same stories. And basically all these stories are about what it means to be human, more or less. So that is what Jung called archetypes. So he wondered, how do people who've never met each other share archetypes across cultures that have no contact with each other whatsoever? Well, he decided there must be something, this collective unconscious, that links all humans where we all have these same shared values, ideas, stories, etc. So... I kind of relate this to the Akashic Record because I first linked the Akashic Record and the Collective Unconscious after I watched this episode of the Netflix show, The Order. Have you seen that? Um, I've heard of it, but I, I've never watched it. Isn't it about like werewolves or something? It is about werewolves, but it's also about magicians. And the Order of Magicians is sort of based on the Order of the Golden Dawn and some other societies like it. So oh. it flirts heavily with actual occult philosophy. So anyway, there's this episode where a character actually enters um, the collective unconscious, and it's sort of conflated with the Akashic Record. They kind of describe them as the same things in the show, and that really activated my brain when they did that, because I thought, well, they're not exactly described the same way, but it does kind of make sense, because the thing they have in common is that they're both this, like, common compendium of human experience and emotion and thought and feeling that every person has access to in some way. Mm -hmm. Even though the way they're written about by various people, like they function differently, but I almost feel like Carl Jung and some of these theosophists were sort of aiming at the same thing, you know, aiming at the same idea and describing it in different ways based on where they were coming from. So I think that's kind of cool. And I guess overall, I think the more people write about something and experience it, the more validity it seems to have 
for me as at least something to acknowledge and consider, if not outright believe in. And I like that I can see expressions of it in various fields of study. It It's a really cool concept. The fact that you see like parallels to it in something so modern as The Order, or that we're talking about the Akashic Records from a show like Charmed, just shows that it's like an idea and a concept that's been around for a long time that people have different interpretations of that um, means different things to different people, just like archetypes do. And that's sort of the whole point, right? Yeah, it's definitely an enduring piece of mythology. And it is one that I like because I, when I read Young's arguments for how the collective unconscious explains shared archetypes on opposite sides of the world, it just makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And why wouldn't there be something that connects all of us? The Akashic Record, the collective unconscious, whatever it is, it's this source of information. It's there for us to use in our divinations and it connects all of us to each other. That is not correct. We also didn't really talk about how he walked in thinking about the records and then Piper's just like, what are the records? And then he's like, are you with the fucking government? <laughs> yeah. So Castiel is pacing back and forth in the kitchen and he's like, this is a government conspiracy. The fucking CIA, Navy SEALs, Coast Guard, they're coming to get me. I'm in trouble. <laughs> coast guard and then piper reads his fucking mind which freaks him out even more and he goes to leave and phoebe is like jokes on you we're about to fuck in the kitchen floor and she <laughs> knocks his ass to the ground and mounts this motherfucker and then she's like wriggling around on top of him and then she's like piper as much fun as i'm having right here i need you to freeze him so then Prue and piper think about her behind her back and then they finally confess to the mind reading spell and then phoebe gets really insane she's like are you guys thinking something about me right now yeah because she's phoebe she's like um you guys is this show all about me right now (laughs) because otherwise (laughs) i don't want to be on it (laughs) but prue is basically like um sorry that your boyfriend's gonna get his brain all sucked out or whatever but i've got to go stab mine really quick (laughs) and then prue pulls out a continuity error from her bra or something she does she pulls out this knife and she's like you remember that that priest with the warlock brothers i almost said warlock with the priest brothers (laughs) yeah and she's like well i have this dagger from that episode even though it exploded in gay ass glitter it did didn't it it exploded in glitter honestly i wanted to disprove you so bad about this point that i went back and watched that episode again and you're right it does you wanted to disprove me about some charmed trivia (laughs) Listen, Phoenix, I'm not good for literally much else at all. (laughs) I have no marketable job skills, but I know my fucking charm trivia, bitch. As they're having this discussion, talking about the Warlock Priest Brothers and the Warlock Boyfriends and the Warlock Needlefingers, Phoebe's like, wow, sure has been a while since we've done our jobs, but it seems like they're everywhere. They say the title in the episode. They do the thing where they say the the title in the episode. Which, to be fair, so do... We do all the time. We! Every time. It's only funny when we do it. Well, here's the thing. If this episode had literally anything going for it at all, I could forgive it. But it's this episode. So bottom five. Bottom five. And speaking of bottoming, Phoebe climbs back on Castiel while he's still frozen. Thankfully, when he unfreezes, he is no longer worried about his sick father and is now super horny for Phoebe. 
convenient. He unfreezes just as he jizzes in his pants. And then he's like, sorry, Phoebes, I can't get up yet. I still got a boner. Yeah. So then the warlocks have this like random public team meeting outside the public library or whatever to discuss their plan out in the open. Is it not? Is it not the the museum? Are they not outside the museum? Or maybe it's the old folks home. I don't fucking know. I don't, there's lots of old buildings in this. Episode. They're just like out on the sidewalk and they're like, would you like to discuss evil? And then since we're out in the open surrounded by people, let's tell teleport away (laughs) i'm sure no one's watching us two conservatively dressed homosexuals plot to kill these women at the library here here's the thing this episode is and forever will remain bad but when did warlocks become needle fingering brain suckers instead of evil witches Just this one time. Just this one time. It makes no sense because they're not like, it's just so bad. I can't make sense of it in my brain at all. Well, I feel like they should be demons and not warlocks, but like they don't know what the fuck warlocks are. And so I feel like they just like replace warlock and demon every now and then. So they feel like they're not doing the same shit every week. I I think you're totally, I think you're totally right. They just try to do it for variety, but it really should be, they should be demons because this like, that doesn't make sense for, for what we've been told a warlock is well i guess so i guess the thing about warlocks is that they're supposed to like exist like out in like the real world whereas like demons not so much demons aren't like out there impersonating people like these warlocks are pretending to be like doctors and museum cruisers and shit yeah um and like well warlocks are just meant to be bad witches and so i was gonna like make this joke that they were at the public library trying to get a tag lock on facebook for their spell but (laughs) it doesn't work because they're not doing spells because they didn't bring 50 cents to print in color They are squeegee slip and sliding all around San Francisco fingering people. I'm really pissed at you because I was going to say all this stuff about how I thought the blinking was kind of cool in this episode. And it's like the only thing that's good about it. It's the only thing that adds any kind of magic or action at all. But I can't think, I can't stop thinking about what you said about like a a wet fart on leather or something. And it's just, (laughs) and now every time I watch this scene, I'm just going to think of the warlike's farting around the room (laughs) i just it's ruined i think that somehow you made the episode worse (laughs) worse (laughs) because prue prue is on a deadline to kill her boyfriend (laughs) so she has to take a break from this whole saving the world thing to go on a date Yeah, she's like, listen, I know that your boyfriend's about to die, but first I have to kill mine. So Prue lures Jack into her office, and then Piper ambushes him, freezes him, and stabs him, just like she did to her boyfriend. Well, Prue's the one that does the stabbing. Like Prue would ever let anybody else stab someone. If she's in the room and there's knife play involved, Prue is doing it. That's true. I guess she did. She just like had that. She's like got this knife behind her back in her office waiting for her lover. I don't know. Prue's into some weird, violent shit. Um, So thankfully, Jack's evil twin walks in and Piper freezes him too. So the girls can decide whether or not to let them live. (laughs) Can we talk about the fact that like Jeff and Jack have totally had a threesome or at least like jerked each other off? At least once. I hope so. Listen, I'd be down for Jack and Jeff having a threesome with Prue. That sounds hot to me. <laughs> Jack and Jeff jacking off. I can see the Pornhub title page now. I'm forth. interested. Listen, Jack and Jeff went up the hill to fetch a pail of siren. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack works at an auction house and Jeff works at a dead people house. <laughs> 
<laughs> but their favorite activity is going to the bathhouse, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Incest for the episode. Check. Checked. <laughs> <laughs> well, glad we fit that in. Now we really can't end this. <laughs> we got to the twin says That's the episode, folks. If you want to follow us. Um. <laughs> so Cassiel asks Phoebe, um, hey girl, what the fuck is going on? And Phoebe just barely manages to explain premonitions. She's kind of like Prue. Season one. I can't really explain. It's just a gift. But she assures him she doesn't work for the government. Oh, to be fair, I would want to know that too. So Cassiel wants justice for his dad. D. <laughs> um, but Phoebe makes it about her and her dead mom and her absentee father. She says she's not interested in her dad at all, which is inconsistent as fuck. And this episode is the only time she ever says that. To be fair, I am kind of Phoebe in this episode. Can we talk about how like preachy Castiel gets on her about her dad though? Oh, red God. flag, red flag. So just for anyone, anyone listening to this right now, if someone tells you, I'm not really interested in having a relationship with my parents because any fucking reason, just say, okay, and don't like gaslight them into thinking that they're doing something wrong. Yeah, not like, well, gee, Phoebe, that's understandable. But have you ever considered that it's all your fault? <laughs> yeah, he's like, I don't understand that. How can you not be <laughs> be in love with your daddy? <laughs> and just um, don't do that to people. <laughs> he really is just a twink on a quest to get his daddy back. He really is. That's all he wants. He's like, I'm gonna decipher the map and find the magic book. Get back with my daddy. <laughs> the things queer people do for love. The things queer people do for love, whether it's deciphering ancient texts or doing poppers in the bathroom at a party. Prue and Piper return from cutting up their boyfriends and the whole party heads off to the uh, invalid hospital. And it's creepy because there is like this sort of wish brand Sally Field nurse woman behind the desk with her eyes open, just horrifically wide. There's this blank look on her face and it is... It's actually really unsettling. She looks fucking dead to me. I was going to say the convalescent hospital mostly looks creepy because of the presence of corpses. <laughs> and there's all these like empty wheelchairs everywhere, which doesn't really make sense. Yeah, like half of them just got raptured. <laughs> <laughs> no, if the rapture happened, there'd be lots of clothes left behind. I think we're, <laughs> we're safe from that. I, I was just kind of under the impression that she got fingered, you know, like her brain got. Well, she died doing what she loved. Getting fingered. <laughs> the, the fight they have in the hospital room is insane. There is so much blinking. They're trying to get Eric's dad D. into a wheelchair. And the warlocks are bopping around, fucking with them, stealing the knife, holding Piper hostage, kidnapping Eric's dad. D. Bye. <laughs> At one point, Prue threw Eric across the room. Why did she do that? <laughs> She's bloodthirsty. She's horny for vengeance. She did not get to kill her boyfriend and she is going to kill somebody today. God damn it. She's horny for murder. Just like Eric's horny for his daddy. Jack and Jeff are horny for each other. Prue is horny for murder. Jeff. J Jeff. <laughs> That's her ship name. <laughs> Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> I'm so into Jeff right now. <laughs> I just gotta say though, can you imagine how how bad that room smells with all those wet leather farts? After oh my the god! Have been blinking. <laughs> this episode, honestly, honestly, it 
feels goofy as fuck. It is goofy as fuck. It's too fast. There's too much happening. There are too many like separate ideas trying to be pushed together in this one through line that's just not working. It makes the whole episode feel really disjointed. And I feel like as much as I'm into the twins, I don't think this like secondary storyline was all that necessary. I know that the mind reading thing like kind of saves the day at the end of it, but I feel like there was a different way to get there. I feel like one or the other should have been happening, not both. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, well, I feel like it's just kind of, it's the formula that we've been in the past couple of episodes and it's just kind of sloppy and not working here. Like we also had the episode where like they did the smart spell for one reason and it saved the day with the like, you know, and enchanted painting and that kind of all worked together and was good and this one they're trying to do the same thing it's just not working yeah it is very that and charmed is if nothing else formulaic (laughs) it's formulaic and also it's a formula dependent show like if one thing changes it changes the flavor too much and i feel like that's what's happening here um so castiel and bruce lee's little sister go to the museum and smash the map stone to bits i mean talk about goofy as fuck they walk into a museum and break an artifact into tiny little pieces and shatter glass and set off an alarm and all these museum patrons are just like good heavens but that's inappropriate and there's no security <laughs> anywhere. It's like they hired the security from the Spencer estate and <laughs> where is the security? They break an artifact to pieces. They then stand there over the debris to talk about what they did. Well, Phoebe stops to make eye contact with every single person in the room before they hold hands and skip away. <laughs> She's just there like, you see this face? This is what you're going to describe to the police sketch artist later. Because there's definitely no security cameras in that place because nobody's doing anything. And if you think there are consequences to this blatant act of vandalism, boy, are you mistaken. This is going to be wrapped up by the end of the day. (laughs) I feel like that suspicious outburst that Eric had earlier in the episode should have maybe been paid a little bit more attention to. Oh my god, he was literally seen muttering angrily around the artifact earlier before he broke it. He was. And this then he was an like, open and shut case. I mean, they have like a memory erasing spell, right? They can just be like, hear these words, hear this rhyme, memories from the other side. Get the fuck out of this. <laughs> well, I do know that later when you go to court, you can just tell the judge, sorry, your honor, I forgot I did that. <laughs> so Prue and Piper go up to the attic to talk shit about their dad. And then they resolve to use this memory erasing spell they just found in the book of shadows memory erasing spell that we can use anytime we want apparently but we will never talk about again also this is not good magic (laughs) no the charmed ones are fucking mind players they don't ever use this spell again they just use leo's like angel dust yeah i guess it's good magic if an angel roofies you but sort of morally questionable if a witch does it so prue decides that if she can't kill her boyfriend then she can at least let Eric's dad just die. So they decide to erase Castiel's memories and say, fuck it. (laughs) Sorry about your dad, but I really want someone to die today. Yeah, Piper at the beginning of the scene says, let's save someone else's father instead. And then two minutes later, she's like, ah, screw him. Here's where the Akashic records are really like the plot device to me, though. They're... They basically are saying, like, if we don't do something about this, then the fate of the entire world is at stake. The warlocks discovering a book automatically unleashes apocalypse, I guess, in their minds. Well, they can use the future knowledge against us, and then there's no more us. So we have this ethical quandary about the fate of the world in comparison to the life of one person, and we weigh this back and forth, and then we never 
resolve it ever. No, we never. And here's the thing. That's such a, it's one of those things about Charmed where they have this really heavy, emotional, meaningful and impactful story to be telling. And it just ends up being kitschy because they don't explore it far enough. They don't take it far enough. They It's kind of exemplified in the sloppiness of this episode. So Dan shows up to stress Piper out. Um, I know I watched this scene a couple of times and I realized that Dan thinks a lot in this scene, but he says almost nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so like from everyone else's perspective he's literally just standing there making faces at piper <laughs> but piper is like i'm so sorry i'm not ready for our sex weekend still even though i told you i've been packing all day but really i've been hanging out with this other guy and then phoebe shows up and she's like hey dan i can tell you're pissed but would you like to come in for this pizza that i didn't order and get in the way of our magical emergency let me tell you something. If somebody was like, hey, would you like to come in for pizza? And there was no fucking pizza. Breaking I'd be pissed. Up. Absolutely fucking not. Do not promise me warm, delicious, cheesy pizza and then not give it to me. Yeah. This morning, she friend zoned me. This afternoon, she stabbed me in the hand. And just now, she lied about having pizza. Piper <laughs> and I are breaking up. That's three fucking strikes, bitch. Three strikes, I'm out. You're out, witch. Oh my god, did the witch bitches just make a sports reference? What the fuck? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I do think this one part is funny. When Piper says, I know what you're thinking. And then Phoebe thinks, Piper. <laughs> so Dan says he's going to leave her behind no matter what she says or does. And he thinks about how he can't get through the door, even though he literally just did. The last time you got through the door, she stabbed you. Why you want to go back in? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't know that she stabbed him. He also says that he's leaving in an hour. So keep in mind that starting now, everything that happens for the rest of the episode, we are to have believed took place within 60 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess is possible since everything in San Francisco is two minutes from everything else. It's not at all a large city. Even though we cannot catch anyone when they walk through a doorway. No, we cannot. They are gone. There's going to be a lot of that coming up. <laughs> They're too far away when they cross a threshold. But the second you get outside, you're just automatically where they are. So Teleported to a new area. <laughs> Enemies do not load. <laughs> So um, Prue and Piper break it to Phoebe that, um, yeah, actually, sis, we're just going to let Eric's dad die. And uh, Phoebe is like, no, we have to save him. And they're like, yeah, but we're not gonna. And Phoebe is like, oh, okay, I'll go tell him. <laughs> Phoebe is like, um, so Phoebe's walking out of the room um, and her sister's trying to stop her. And Phoebe thinks, ugh, you don't even care. And then she turns around and she has to apologize for her thoughts, which is like, it's super duper not fair. That was sort of convenient. I understood the emotion and what they were trying to convey, but they also wanted to like resolve it. So I get it. They were trying to tell us that the telepathy is like invasive and not chill. Right. Mm -hmm. But if I was Phoebe and I would be thinking shit about them and then I'd turn around and look them in the eye and be like, what, bitch? <laughs> Dr. Warlock calls Castiel while his lover revives Eric's daddy and then conks him out again. And they order Castiel to go to the park without the witches in half an hour. So we've already lost half. The so we've lost half the hour. Um, so, yes, all of the stuff that takes place in the next part of this episode happens within an hour, but everything when they get into the warlocks and then back to the manor for Piper to go on her sex fucking weekend, um, 
happens in 30 minutes. How does that work? I don't know. I can't I can't even get ready to leave the house in 30 minutes. Me either. I was literally, I like, sometimes I try to kid myself and pretend that I can. But this morning when I was getting ready for work, and I only live like a 15 minute walk away from work now. I had to work at 1130. I laid on that couch without pants on until 1117. Yeah, that's probably why they can't catch him. Because every time Eric runs away from him, they're like, okay, well, we got to do an outfit change first. I got (laughs) to, I got to do my makeup. We got to check my hair. I gotta make sure that we look good before we go out in public. Yeah, I mean, that's serious concern. How come you don't do that? I'm gonna kill you, bitch. (laughs) So Castiel distracts Phoebe with some uh, flattering words. Um, And then this is another part where he says that it's a shame her father is not a part of her life. And again, just um, don't say that to people. Hey, Phoebe, I think you're really kind and pretty. It's too bad your dad doesn't love you. Oh, that hits home. Anyway, Piper catches Eric thinking about going to the park, but she doesn't stop him from leaving with, you know, her power to freeze because no one was there to tell her to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Then Eric gets out of the door and disappears into the astral plane and they cannot catch him. But because of this, we get to go to the park shooting on location. Yes. Yes. That is actually uh, one better part of this episode. And, you know, listening to their podcast, I learned that, like, um, shooting on location, like, costs money. And so the later seasons are kind of less interesting because they don't get to shoot on location. Mm. They didn't get to do stuff like go to the park, wander (laughs) around for... How long do they wander around for? Less than an hour, I guess. (laughs) Like, Um, 15 minutes tops. Yeah, and Prue still hasn't killed anybody, so she gets into a fight with a peacock. Some bitch ass says, imagine a father who wants to be with his child. Can't relate. Nope. I mean, mine's dead, so I can't really imagine that anyway, but... Eric finds the warlocks and his daddy in the refrigerator. So he, um, threatens to kill himself if they don't heal his dad. So they do. That's nice. Some touching music plays while his dad wakes up to find his son holding a gun to his throat... Which is just, you know, I think that's really sweet. That's a little disconcerting to wake up to. But, you know, I do think that a lot of parents secretly hate their kids. So it's probably (laughs) fine with it. I mean, they do ruin their lives and everything. So make sure you hit yourself in the throat so you destroy that fucking faggoty ass voice, Castiel. (laughs) Um, Then the warlocks finger everybody's holes and Phoebe gets a lobotomy. You know, sometimes if a finger hits me in the right place, it does make my mind go blank. And sometimes when you're scared to let a guy up there, it's because you have a kidney stone, you stupid bitch. (laughs) Well, why just childhood traumas? Why not recent ones too? So Prue and Piper use their telepathy in a useful way, finally, to read the warlock's minds and then trick them into a terrible vanquish effect. You know, this may actually be worse than the melting neighbors. Um, It's so bad. I wrote possibly the second worst vanquish effect ever, but it might be the worst. (laughs) It is pretty bad. It is pretty bad. Um, But I think maybe, no, honestly, I'm really struggling to come up with the worst one right now. I feel like I wish it was clever. It just looks so terrible. The idea is that like they get the warlocks to both be about to use their brain drain finger powers and then they freeze them and then they make them use their needle fingers on each other's holes. They're so unprepared for the penetration that they wiggle and scream and kind of get really thin. So that actually kind of makes me feel like this episode is a little homophobic because 
the way that they save the day and kill the bad guys is by making two dudes finger each other. They trick them into double penetration, then they both die. Sounds like a 50s sex ed class. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first. Fingering boys makes you die. Um, So everyone wakes up from their magical lobotomies and reminisce about the Halloween party that they had three weeks ago because vanquishing warlocks magically undoes their damage. Um, And that's a really common thing that's happening a lot in this season is just like all, all the trauma's gone because we saved the day and killed the bad guys and now everything is unicorns and rainbows and candy canes and happiness by the end of the day everything is fine because of witchcraft isn't that wholesome because witchcraft solves all your problems yeah well all these people would be horribly dead and traumatized if not for witchcraft i mean that's pretty good pr for us really i mean truly it is witchcraft saves the day and no trauma happens ever so they get back home and it feels like the next day but in reality it's like seven and a half minutes later i don't know how they got from golden gate park back home in that amount of time it's within the same hour bitch um and in in the course of this hour they've also found the time to summarily dump eric and his dad off somewhere even though one of them is wanted by the police and neither of them have memories But that's fine. We got to get back home in order to get Piper on her sex date. Chop, chop. (laughs) So at this point, after all this has happened, when they've dropped off the amnesia victims and somehow driven home in a record amount of time without getting pulled over by the useless SFPD, Prue and Piper have reversed the hearing thought spell. Off screen, by the way. And Prue basically says the metaphor of the episode out loud. (laughs) Stop spelling it out for people. Her general lesson, too, is like, hearing other people's thoughts is bad. (laughs) We learned that from doing the hearing thoughts spell. And Piper's like, Prue, you're really smart. I just, I hate that. I hate that the show spells out the lessons for us at the end. And it happens a lot in this season. And it's just, it makes it feel like it thinks the viewers are dumb, you know? And it's not like, because I mean, it's happening the whole time. It's right there in front of your face, being spelled out the entire time through everything that happens. And then you have to tell us again at the end. Why? Well, I do want to say that, Phoenix, you and I have both just watched this episode, rewatched this episode about seven times. So I can assure you, the viewers are dumb. (laughs) (laughs) But I think they have to spell it out for us because they're like... Hey, we toyed with some concepts in the episode. We failed to explore every single one of them. So, Prue, can you make a pronouncement (laughs) and act (laughs) as though we achieved anything? Yeah. Um, So, for one final time, um, Piper is about to miss her sex weekend because Dan is driving away. And Phoebe is like, um, as I keep telling you, you could fucking freeze time, <laughs> bitch. And then Piper's like, oh, yes, even though I constantly whine about being a witch, I did forget I have powers. <laughs> yeah, and then Phoebe's like, that's such a nifty little power. And Piper's like, thank God you're around to tell me how to use it. And Piper's like, bye, I hate you both. I'm going to go get banged. <laughs> bye. I'm going to get some dick now. So Jack has left some flowers at the door. There's not a card. They start ringing and then prove for some reason um does not know how a cell phone works even though she works at an auction house where she uses they play it like this is prue's first cell phone (laughs) right it's like um how does this how does this work although she had one in season one she was on it in the elevator she's just so horny for murder that she forgot how appliances work i am one of the only people in the episode who didn't have their minds sucked out but i forgot how to work a phone you guys (laughs) (laughs) do you Um, think you can use this thing to stalk victims so um when she answers the phone jack is like thank god you're finally home i've been calling you every 20 minutes for the last hour just to like 
solidify the amount of time that it's been. But I just want to say, that means he's only called three times. Oh, yeah, because it's only been an hour. It's only been an hour. So he's, like, talking about it like it's this whole big thing. But every 20 minutes for the last hour, you've called three times, Jack. And we're just assuming, that's assuming the flowers arrived right after they left. Well, of course they did, because everything is serendipitous in the Charmed universe. So to sum up the compulsory heterosexuality, Phoebe and Castiel have to have this brand new meet-cute at the hospital, where she still works, I guess. And How did she remember that she was supposed to be there? I, I, well, I guess she's worked there since before the Halloween party, Phoenix. Duh. Um, <laughs> Eric narrates that his dad is all better, consequence-free, and is being released today. Serendipitous. Um, I have this really weird beef with something that Castiel does in this episode. And it's the way that he says the word better. And it's just something about it that really bothered me. I think it's that faggy ass little voice. <laughs> it's probably that. Phoebe repeats her dumb line about angels and Castiel is like, can we go fuck in the sunroom? And Phoebe's like, maybe if I draw you a map, haha, ha, get it, a map, because of that time that we destroyed that artifact in the museum and then you forgot and neither of us got in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> And then they head off toward a brand new romance of literally never seeing each other again. <laughs> so, Phoenix, because we just haven't talked about you enough in this episode, um, I want to ask, have you ever picked up a guy in a hospital? Um, well, usually I don't like to kiss and tell, but... Since when is that true? <laughs> so here's the story. Let me tell you all about it. When I was a wee little gay of about probably probably 19. Um, I was on this little app that is an orange little face. I'm sure some of you may have heard of it. It's called Grindale. I saw this guy who I had never seen before. And since I was like one of the only gays for 40 miles, I was like, ooh, fresh meat. So I hit him up and it turns out that he had just been in a horrible car accident and was in the hospital. So he was like, hey, I'm really lonely. None of my family is around. I would like some company. Can you come hang out? And I was like, sure. I get there. And it, it is really like a classic kind of, um, I was just in a horrible car accident kind of scene. Like he was in a neck brace. He had his leg like up in one of those little stirrup things. Oh my things. God. <laughs> like you're literally on fucking television. Yeah, it was... um. It was something else. The doctor came in once, asked us if we were brothers, and I was like, no. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> something like that. Um, and then I, so then I uh, sucked his dick until he came in my mouth, and then I left. And then, much like Phoebe, I never saw him again. <laughs> so that's my hospital sex story. Do you have a hospital sex story? Have you ever picked up a guy in a hospital? No, but one time when my ex was terribly sick, I did give her a sponge bath, and it was not sexy in any way. <laughs> <laughs> in a hospital it was in a hospital it wasn't just like for fun at home <laughs> <laughs> do you have any final thoughts about this episode siren um bottom five bottom five yeah bottom five you know i think this was a fun opportunity to th talk about like telepathy and the acacia records but as far as for how i feel about the way i've spent the last two hours of my life pretty bad <laughs> <laughs> and I just hope that all of you listening feel the same way. This is going to be a rough one to listen back to because there's just nothing here. There's nothing, nothing. And really, when talking about fingering, the last thing you want to hear is that it's going to be a rough one. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> I like it gentle. Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, otherwise you throw up everywhere. Just one finger, please. Preferably without a needle. <laughs> or a key. Yeah. Or anything else on the end of it, in fact. <laughs> well, Phoenix, where can the people find you? <laughs> Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. You can follow me on uh, the formerly uh, known app Twitter at Phoenix Arcana underscore if you want to. I mean, it's it's a Elon Musk hellscape now, so there's not really much to do there except look at porn. If you want to book a tarot reading with me, you can send me an email at phoenix.a.lightwood at gmail.com. But if all of that sounds pretty lame to you, like it does to me, you can follow the podcast across the board at WBRcast on Facebook, Instagram, and X. Or you can write us an email at witchbereview at gmail.com. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about or just say something mean about Phoenix to make my day. Or... You're so rude. I'm feeling my oats in the fucking ending credits, Phoenix. So... Or if you'd like to buy yourself a producer credit on our next episode, feel free to hippity hop on over to our Buy Me a Coffee. Link in the description of the episode if Phoenix does his fucking job right. And hand us $5 so we'll say something nice about you on the air if that's, I don't know, somehow worth something to you. (laughs) (laughs) But that's really all we have to offer. So, all right, all you finger-banging warlocks. <laughs> Until next time, keep on witching and bitching. Bye. Bye. Thank God that's over. A spell to recall a lost memory. Phoenix. A spell to recall a lost memory. To remember something forgotten. Gather before you any objects associated with the memory, as well as a small amethyst and a bay laurel leaf. With your index finger, trace the rune of Perth in the air and chant. What was lost, return to me, reveal forgotten memory. Close your eyes and allow the past to appear. Okay, but Siren, how are they supposed to gather things that they've forgotten if they forgot about them? Phoenix, I don't know. It's just a fucking spell. Okay, can we end the episode? Are you a good witch or a bad witch?